Father, as we open your word together, we pray that hearts and minds would be receptive to the work of your spirit. That as we come, maybe still a little tired, things on our mind, that you would help us to hear your word and to let that word impact our lives. That we might experience the reality of the kingdom of God every day. And we might live kingdom first for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Hide and seek. I would be shocked if there's a single person in the room who has not played hide and seek, either as a child or with your children. But somewhere along the way, you played hide and seek. As far as we can tell, the game at least goes back to the second century BC, but probably it goes back to the first time there were children and they played hide and seek. A very simple game where one person counts, the others go and hide, and then that one goes to try to find them. There's lots of variations as I was reading on the history of hide and seek, and many of them kids have played and made up and enjoyed. We used to play hide and seek in our upstairs area of our house. Now you would think that over time, you would run out of places to hide because it's limited, it's a couple of bedrooms and a bathroom, but I have one child that is a little bit like a rubber band and he's able to wad himself up into inhuman balls and fit into areas that are just, you don't even think to look there because it's humanly impossible that someone would actually be there. And occasionally, you couldn't find this kid. And it's almost a little, uh, I don't know, embarrassing. You're like, there's only so much square footage here. Why cannot I find this kid? And you think he must have like gone out a window and he's hiding on the roof at this point. And then at some point, he'd pop out. There he is. The reason I think about hide and seek is even if I never find that child, he is still there. The fact that I don't know it or I don't see it, or I'm not, I, know, I know he's there, but the fact that I don't see it or I don't acknowledge it, it's still there. That is the same thing I want to talk about today when it comes to sin. Our passage is Psalm 32, and it is all about confession. And this idea that we may hide our sin, but it is still there. And when it is hidden, it has ramifications. And here's the thing. Occasionally in our hide and seek game, we would reverse it. And I would go and hide. And you can imagine at my size versus my rubber band son, the limited places that I could hide because the bigger you are, the more difficult it is to hide. And the same thing is true of our sin. Open your Bible, if you would, to Psalm 32. I know, you're thinking, man, what a jolly, exciting sermon we're going to have this morning. Psalm 32. 
It actually starts off quite positive. First point. Forgiveness brings freedom. Forgiveness brings freedom. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So that word blessed, you've probably heard it before. If you think about the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. Um, This particular word, in Hebrew, there's two words for bless. One of them is used by God and typically means something about God's favor. Or if it's man to God, it is is man honoring God, and it can actually mean to kneel physically. This word is never used by God. It is a word that applies to man and usually means a state that comes about because of something that somebody did. So it's not just God's gracious favor. It's that transgression has been forgiven and has created this state. This state is one of release. Happiness. This is a state of being able to breathe. You ever felt like you're kind of just, you're struggling for breath and everything is tight and you just, this is going. That is the state of one whose transgression is forgiven. A transgression that God has said, I'm not holding you to this. I am releasing you from this instead of holding it against you. This is the state of one whose sin is not hidden by you, but it's covered by God. This is the state of one against whom God counts no iniquity, and then listen to this, in whose spirit there's no deceit. Somebody who has looked at themselves and said, this is sin in my life. I'm gonna give it over. There's no deceit. There's no self-deception. There's no deceit. And the result of that, have you ever gone backpacking? Raise a hand. I want to see these hands. Backpacking. Have you ever had a really super heavy backpack with lots of books in it and had to carry it for a while? What does it do? Over time, as it begins to kind of wear on your shoulders, kind of wears on your lower back, sometimes it moves down into the legs. So we just went hiking last summer, and we had a backpack that we put our baby in. And he doesn't weigh a ton. But when you start hiking up, and you're being careful with your footing, and you're doing a two-hour hike, there is a point where you're going, oh, God, this hurts. And then... My wife, who is far tougher than I am, says, please give me the baby. And then she takes the baby for the rest of the trip and doesn't complain at all. And I'm like, ow, ow, ah. But here's the feeling. You take that off and you go, oh. And you stand straight. That's the blessedness of forgiveness. That's the blessedness of not carrying the sin in you. That's the blessedness of God not counting iniquity against you. However, 
the opposite is also true. Silence brings suffering. Verse 3, for when I kept silent, when I tried to hide it, when I was the rubber band boy hiding my sin, and I wouldn't acknowledge it, I wouldn't let it out, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Physically, I felt it. There was a sense of just weakness and, and wasting, and it was a physical manifestation of the hidden sin. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Have you ever been out doing yard work in the Texas summer and just felt how you dry up? You can get dizzy, you just feel like, I just, oh, that's what he felt like. He was being worn down by the sin that he kept silent about. And then, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. At some point, I'm just, I'm beat down. I'm physically, emotionally, and mentally being worn out like this heat of sun on me. And then I acknowledge my sin to you. I let it out. Why? Why do we not acknowledge our sin sometimes? Why is it that we hold it in? And I would say there's a couple of reasons. Primarily, most likely, it's fear. We fear being judged. We fear punishments. We fear what God or somebody else might think of us. We fear what we can't control. Once I admit that I had done this or I had thought these things, it's out there. I don't know what that's going to lead to. There's a lot of fear that can hold us from confessing our sins. Number two, sometimes it's just plain old rationalization or self-deception. Like we just make excuses. We're good at saying it's really not that bad. That person is so much worse than I am. These are things that everybody does right? I mean, everybody does this. It's not that big of a deal. We have a lot of very good ways of rationalizing why what I did or what I'm thinking or how I treated this person, it's not really as bad as it is. And then number three, all of this ties up into this. And this is a little bit of a challenge for everybody, including myself. We don't trust God enough so that the fear and the rationalizations, the justifications, the excuses, they are stronger than trusting God. And yet, I found this fascinating. So quite often in scripture, you will run across something that happens, and then you will find out that they had no medical research to go with this, but then today we're doing it and going, wow, that actually did happen. When he held his sin in, the guilt and the shame was manifesting in physical, emotional, and mental ways. And that is actually shown in research to be true. I want to give you a couple of things. This is not research. This is just my introduction to the research. 
Shakespeare defined guilt as life's fitful fever. And here's what it does. In a UK study, studying people struggling with guilt versus people who were not, shame versus people who were not, they found decreased levels of immunoglobulin A, which is a decrease in the immune system. In UCLA, they found in the same kind of study, they're studying people struggling with guilt and with shame versus not, an increased activity of cytokine, which indicates inflammation, infection, and possibly trauma in cells. In Notre Dame, over a 10-week study of people, and they specifically did this. We want some of you to continue telling the lies that you regularly tell to people, and we want 10 of you to not. Now, what happens when you find yourself telling lots of lies, and they start kind of spiraling, and you're trying to figure out, like, which ones, you know, and how do I keep this straight, and you start feeling awful, and this is what they found in the, after this study. Of those who were not telling the lies, they found a 54% decrease in mental health complaints. And, and when mental health, I don't mean, like, like, we're talking about anxiety, depression, and a 56% less in physical health, nausea, headaches, physical manifestations. And you can find multiple studies. This one I found the most interesting. I um, mean, it's still being worked on. Um, so apparently, and some doctor may correct me on this, but I found it in multiple journals, lower back pain is the world's most debilitating thing. And they just started studies on the fact that lower back pain and people who are dealing with depression and shame, it's increasing and in this study, if they could find ways to help them decrease the shame and the guilt, it helped the lower back pain. Now, my point is not to say as long as you have no guilt and shame, you're gonna be perfectly healthy. That's not my point. Please don't stop going to the doctor and just say, I don't have any more guilt and shame. That's not my point. My point is, it actually does physically manifest in our lives. When we hold in our sin the shame, the guilt that comes with it. And we don't give that to God. At times, we don't even confess it to another person where we need to. We are held captive. And there is a suffering that comes along with that that can manifest in physical, emotional, and mental ways. And on the other side, we start with point number one. There is freedom in forgiveness. When we let that out. So, here's what we need to do. We need to own our sin. Not rationalize, not deny, not let fear overwhelm us. Own our sin so that we can be free from our sin. Continuing in verse six. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. 
You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. His experience of confessing his sin was not God pummeling him, but God becoming his protector. God saying, I will now be your hiding place. You've been hiding your sin from me. I will now be your hiding place. I will be the one that is with you. You acknowledging you did something really bad didn't make God go, oh, how dare you? Instead, it made God come to you and be a protector. Verse eight, um, there's a lot of debate about this, and I'm just gonna go one direction with an interpretation. So if you don't like it, you can pick another one. Um, but there's a few things in Hebrew that are different here than from the rest of the psalm. And so it feels like this is one little point where Yahweh is speaking to the one who has confessed. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That what happened when he confessed his sin is he found that release, he found protection from Yahweh, and Yahweh said, now that you have repented, okay, think about the very first gospel message. The good news of the kingdom of God, what are you to do? Repent, turn from where you're going and turn to the kingdom. As he turned to Yahweh, Yahweh said, now I'm gonna instruct you. I'll have my eye upon you. And I don't think that's like I'm watching you. Don't screw up again. This is, my eyes are upon you. I'm watching you as my child and I'm leading you. I'm not trying to make you feel more guilt. I'm not trying to beat you up for messing up. I'm instructing you and leading you as my child. And now it flips back. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Don't be like a dumb animal and keep doing the same thing. Keep forcing the bit to have to move you somewhere. Instead, learn this lesson. Forgiveness brings freedom. Silence brings suffering. So own your sin and you'll be free from your sin. Doesn't mean there aren't ramifications to your sin. But even those, God will walk with you through it. Because that's what he's saying. I'll walk with you through it, not turn against you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Remember that first thing, one of the reasons we don't do this. We're not trusting him. Trust him, church. Give it over to him, no matter what it is, because the steadfast love of the Lord surrounds those who trust him, even when they've massively screwed up. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I mean, that is part of confession. It is the, you've got the backpack weight. What I end up doing is I somewhat lean to kind of, you know, hold that pack. I find myself hunching over. But that's kind of the way that we look when we're harboring stuff. That's what our life is like. And he's saying, you can rejoice. Like, you can throw that backpack off. Stand up straight, take a breath, and be free, even if you have to deal with some of the ramifications, and I'll do it with you. But you can rejoice. And I would guarantee most of you in this room, 
at least once in your life, you've experienced that. You finally copped up to something. You finally went, yeah, I did that. And there was a release because you're no longer hiding it. Now God can hide you. You're no longer covering it. Now he can cover it. You're no longer bearing that weight, but you've given it to him. Some of you have probably heard this saying. I have not until I read it, but it's a great saying. Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. That was the shout of the child who, once they got tired of looking for everybody, it was the shout of safety. You can come out now. You're free. You're safe. And, and some of the thoughts are, it might have been originally, all ye, all ye are free. And then it got kind of combined together because kids are yelling things out, and much like, you know, for a long time when I was younger, I always said, cream of wheat. Not cream of wheat, but cream of wheat. And didn't even know that it wasn't cream of wheat. So that's what it was. Same kind of thing here. It just got kind of morphed. But that cry is God standing at the safe place and saying, all ye, all ye are free. Come out. Stop hiding. Stop holding it. Stop letting it bear you down. Bring it to me and let you know the blessedness of having transgression forgiven, sin covered, iniquity not counted against you. That's the blessedness that God offers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, each of us at times, we've struggled with our sins. We've struggled with the fear of admitting some of the things that we have done. And yet we know from your word, we even know from research, how that guilt and shame eats away inside of us. Heavenly Father, Right now, I pray that your great love would be on each person who is holding on to their sin, that they would have the strength to fully confess that to you. If they need to go to a brother or sister and, and, and tell them something, ask for forgiveness. Lord, if it is the right time, you would lead them in that way. Lord, let us as your church know the freedom of forgiveness that you offer through Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our friend. And it's in his name that we ask it and for the sake of your church living kingdom first. Amen.